What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we've got a new visitor on our desert island, our comic-loving desert island. I'm joined by Steve, Steve of uh, Dark Knight News and, and Comics in Motion, sort of uh, superheroes for dummies, so much stuff you do. Steve, how are you doing? You all right? I, it's a pleasure to be here, but I must admit, um, this was hard. This was really, <laughs> really hard. So I mean, it's, it's, we set the mission. The, 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 the you know, the, the sort of uh, the thing for the episode is uh, Desert Island Comics. Pick three issues, you know, that you would take to a desert island, and you know, you want to talk about. And um, as as a man who's got such a sort of a, you know a strong comic history, like that's a back yeah. catalogue to pick from. It's a hell of a back catalogue to pick from. So, uh, but you did it. You did it. I know yeah. you talk. I know. I know. I know it's hard. You told me repeatedly. <laughs> I'm not going to apologise because I know. Yeah, you know, so many times have I said I hate you to you over the last three. You did, yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but it makes you think. It makes you think. But you it did. Does. You chose. It you, really does. You came back and you've chosen three. So do you want to let, let the listener know what three issues uh, have you chosen for us to talk about today? Um, it, it could have been easy, as you know, to go for the ones that people say are important or breakthrough. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, the three I've picked have got some standout moments, but I just picked three comics from my entire life that I love. 2008 issue two, mm-hmm. um, The Incredible Hulk 377, and issue 32 of Batman Gotham Knights, and we'll talk about why, but they're just three great comics, and yes. that's the long and short of it. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I love about doing all this is because, you know, I've I've got my history of comics, and then you know, so I've yeah. my chosen, and then when someone else throws these things at you, and this is this, this, all three of these are good examples. Like I have a, a history, much as you know, with two thousand AD. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. But then the Hulk and the Batman one, like they were new to me. Like, I couldn't, you know, the Hulk just off air. I was oh, like, that's oh my great! God. Oh, in that case, so, my work here is done. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and especially Brilliant. some great things like the the Batman one. Of course, you open up and you got this, you know, great Brian Bolland cover as well so i'm like already off to a great start um and it, it, it yeah it's a, that's a good issue as well i've got some i've got some interesting thoughts about that though but um good um we'll get into it. but yeah so 2008 so second issue second prog prog uh yeah. of 2008 we'll go back to 1977 uh hulk's 1991 and then uh batman dark knight is uh 90, 2002 so we'll go through them in that order so let's go back. But let's do before we dig into the exact to the, to the issue issue because you've just shown me something rather special. You've got a copy of Prog One for a start, the first issue of 2008, yeah. and the second. You've saved your first hundred issues of 2008 yeah. from when you were a kid, and that's something special. So, like, you've got like a real relationship then with with 2008, like going back to the day. Like, did do you remember when, how you came across it as a comic, like in your newsagent or whatever? It was in my newsagent, and and if memory serves, the first one I picked up was issue two. And I don't know if my nerd brain kicked in even back then, but I thought, oh, 
where's number one? And these are the days where the news agent was literally sell or return, mm-hmm. but he had one left. So I picked up issues one and two together and I, I devoured them. I devoured them. Because obviously I was seven and I probably shouldn't have been reading yet, if I'm <laughs> honest. <laughs> Especially stuff like Flesh, but I can't remember being horrified or scared by it because I think at that age, I was still more drawn in to the black and white art Mm. and the intricacy of it it was just dinosaurs um a man with what was like super because i've always loved superheroes and 2008 was different but mac one satisfied the superhero yeah um craving in me because it was a completely different type of superhero computer in his brain and like hyperpunctures like acupuncture and that made me want to read about what, what's acupuncture and 2018 was just this comic that I was used to the Beano and the Dandy yes, and reprints of Silver Age Batman saying, hey, chum, and fighting on giant typewriters with Robin. And 2018 was just like a real breath of fresh air. And I just remember picking it up and not putting it down because you said mm. very sweetly that they're in very good condition. They, they look better on the webcam <laughs> than they do and feel in real life. But um, I... These are comics I don't think I could ever, ever see myself parting with yeah, I, because I of the memories. That. Yeah, I understand that. Like you have like mm. that relationship with them, you have that connection to them. Um, and one one of the things you say about sort of being seven and sort of like you know um, should you have been reading them or not? You know, it's, it's that thing. Like I say, the, I, I remember sort of yeah, I remember you know I came <laughs> on to um 2000 AD sort of in the 80s, late 80s and I'm the same as you I think there's like a Brit so there's like a British sort of um rite of passage like if you started on the Beano or the Dandy like you had those annuals or those ones yeah and then you're like I'm old enough now that, you know yes. I need to move on I want something new and you find these comics yeah um and it can be, you know, during the sort of like, we all, I don't actually know. I'll say we all know the story. You and I know the story of 2008. Oh, yeah. But, but like, you know, yeah. yeah, but it's it's not, you know, it's one of those things of like, you know, it came about because of like all these different things that were going on within the British comic industry at the time. And these rebellious guys led really by Pat Mills was like, yeah. no, we're going to, we're going to not save the industry, but we're going to put our stake in the ground. We're going to do this thing. You know, action comic had been, um, you know, waylaid by the sort of yep. um, uh, sensors. And so they're like, well, if you can't beat up human, if you can't show humans and human blood, we'll show aliens and alien blood and we'll do it that way. And so this this comic was born. And um, really, look, two is, is, a, is a master issue as well, isn't it? Like, it's a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, well, it, it's on newsprint. And so you said the art. One of the things is, that, you know, this is design it's, pu- it's pulp isn't it like it's pulpy like it was designed to be almost disposable like they did i don't think they ever thought like in 40 45 years people are still gonna be talking about this thing it really didn't i mean the fact that it's gone through a few publishers since mm. but it's always kept that aesthetic particularly with the hiring of the european writers and artists where they picked people who weren't just flashy action scenes i mean they could do all of that but the acting and the storytelling and the personalities of each character, the facial expressions, the body language, which to me, obviously, as a seven-year-old, way over my head. Yeah. But looking back at these now, arguably the worst thing about them is the dialogue and the script. The art, yeah. still to this day... Oh, stands up. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's leagues ahead. I think, like you said, yeah. I think you do read the dialogue and it has that... 
slightly heavy-handed bronze time, yeah. yeah. Melodramatic which, kind of feel. Yeah, which in some places kind of works. Like, I like the Dread script for that as well, because it has that sort of, like, yeah. you know... He what is it like uh, the judge? Uh, the judge Alvin comes back and they're like, "He's arrived back, dead." <laughs> and I love all that stuff. But you're right. But like you know, Carlos Square doing certain art, and uh, you, you know, you mentioned like sort of Dave Gibbons and these artists. I think they were given like a freedom, weren't they? They were just like yeah. they wanted to do this good work, and it shows. Like you do go back and you watch. Like, you know, oh, it's um gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, totally gorgeous. I mean. It's a, it's a crying shame that it's only after reprints and wonderful things like Best of 2080 magazine that you find out who wrote and drew these things. Because I'd forgotten that these early progs of 2080 didn't have writer and artist credits. And I've had to do some fairly deep online mm. research to find them. And, and we were chatting before we started recording. Dave Gibbons' work on Harlem Heroes. I mean, has that guy always been a genius or is it me? I mean, his work... It's beautiful. Yeah. There, there, there are certain artists that when you go back to their early work, you go, oh, I can see what you picked up, but you've developed yeah. and you've grown the style or you've grown yeah. whatever. Like, But then there's other artists that just sort of like hit the page and you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, you're just phenomenal. <laughs> Gibbons, Bolland, Escara. That's yeah. three of them. And they're 2008 alumni. Yeah. These guys. And you said about, yeah. like, you know, one of the things that you see throughout 2008's history is giving these sort of smaller or European or international artists a go. Especially, you know, in the 90s as well, in the 80s, you had sort of a growth of it. In the 90s, they introduced like the paint art, the painted art and all this other stuff. And it's always, if, if not if not pitch perfect, it's always interesting. Absolutely. Uh, and I've always admired them for doing that and being that sort of like willing to do that kind of stuff. But, but let's sort of focus on Prog 2 because that's what you've picked. Yeah. So I'm just going to give a quick list of what's in there. And then we'll go through the uh, the um, the artists and the... And the, the in, in, uh, the writer and the artist. So I've got a list here. So it was Invasion, The Resistance, part two. Yeah. Um, Flesh, book one, part two. Mark one, Vulcan, part two. Dan Dare, uh, The Biogs. Uh, Harlem Heroes, The Harlem Heroes. Uh, Future Graph, that was a thing. And then Judge Dredd, Judge Whitey. So they were the sort of the, the stories that were in there. Um, so yeah, let's just quickly go through those one by one. I think like Invasion, The Resistance. <laughs> Um, so who's the, who's the team on that? Just to give them their credit. It's it's incredible. The script was by Jerry Finley Day, who obviously went on to write some amazing stuff like Harry on the High Rock, amongst other things. Yeah. And the art, pencils and inks, which is mind blowing, was by uh, Jesus Blasco, a countryman of mine, and lettered by Jack Potter. Now, for me, this is one of the stories where it's the actual characterization, and I said the storytelling that shone through. Because let's be fair here. Bill Savage is a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Rightfully so, because his wife and kids have been destroyed by the invading Volgan army. But he's literally the Punisher without the skull on his chest, all out to destroy these invaders. And that second chapter, to me, which is why I picked 2008 Prog 2 over, two, or over Prog 1, not just because mm. of Judge Dredd, it's because of the progression of the story. Whereas what I love about 2000 AD even though it's episodic, even though it's a serial, you can pick up Prog 2, as you've discovered for this show, and not need to really know what happened in Prog 1, because they nope. tell you, in a little line of dialogue, in what's happened beforehand, in what's happening to the country, 
And the level of storytelling genius that is required to do that, especially with a monthly, it's not so hard because it's been a whole month and, mm. you know, but weekly snippets, five, six page stories to keep that momentum going, blinding. And that, that that's second... the point. Yeah. That point that you make there about sort of like, because this isn't an anthology comic. Like it's not, an, like this isn't a trait. Like this is no. you know, each of these stories, like I say, between yeah. five and eight pages. And to do that takes such talent to be concise, yet have new action and progression every issue. And it's something I think you do get to sort of like respect. And there's, 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 um, you hear it from, um, guys that have come up, you know, sort of like some of the, you know, big names like, uh, Garth Ennis, Grant Morrison, um, Alan Moore. Yeah, Alan Moore. Yeah, they'll, they'll say to you, like, you know, yeah, cutting your teeth on 2008, you know, makes you. <laughs> sort of like have to be concise and sort of like, you know, you have to learn a certain type of storytelling. And from, like you said, from the first couple of issues, like they nailed it. Like these were guys that had probably done it elsewhere, but this is, it's a talent. It's a real skill. Um, But yeah, you mentioned about Bill Savage. Because again, one of the things is you need, we need to understand the political landscape and also the political leanings of, in particular, Pat Mills. Yes. um, and, And John Wagner and others. Um, yeah, th- this is an angry comic. Very, very. And of course, as a, as a kid, I didn't pick that up at all. I just saw mm. dinosaurs and action and tanks and airplanes and um, a, a future cop with a motorbike that could drive itself. And it was just like, I've never seen anything yeah. like this before. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, looking back at it now, and this is something I love about comics. It fits scarily well with the world of today. As oh, well. yeah. yeah. The whole North Korea vibe with the Volgans is like, what the actual F are these guys' profits? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, they use, the Volgans were obviously, a, were a, a play, you know, a standing for Russians and stuff, but, uh, and it's, it's to be fair, still maybe the Russians, the way things are going, but you're right, like, it still feels relevant. Like, you watch this and you're so like... The political landscape hasn't changed a great deal. If anything, like you say, some of this feels prophetic. Pretty we'll, get, we'll, we'll get on to yeah. Judge Dredd in a minute, but yeah, um, yeah. But invasion is a good one, and I think it's you know everyone talk, everyone knows. There's like a period of truth, I think, where like there's, there's like a milestone. I think late eighties into the nineties and beyond, where like people go, oh yeah, I know that character, I know that character. There's ones that stand out, and that's just Dredd, Strontium, Dogs, Rogue Trooper, yeah. those ones. But, but like, there's these ones that have almost been forgotten. But you only know them if you know 2000 AD. And you do think, like, I wish they had more mainstream attention. And Bill Savage is definitely one of those, like, Invasion's oh, one of those, totally. like, oh, man, this would be ace. <laughs> like, this needs yeah. a bit of a wider attention. Um, Going to Flesh. Flesh, let's move into Flesh, that's an instrument. As a kid, this is probably, along with Mac 1, my favourite story in the comic because of the dinosaurs. But reading it now as a grown man in his 50s, in this present day, and again, the prophetic powers of these storytellers that world food shortage, mm. there's not enough meat to feed the world. What do they do? Dinosaurs are going to go extinct. Let's go back and help them <laughs> and ship over their flesh so that future us can eat it. And it was just like, again, when I was a kid, it was just like, oh, they're hunting dinosaurs, but the dinosaurs are hunting them back. And I just went, yay, cool, munch. But pure magic. Um, so, I, mean, I don't know if you know, because with issue one, with Prog One, it was almost all plot and script by Pat Mills. But mm. Flesh was uh, written by Ken Armstrong. Mm. 
with art by Jean Bois, again, another European writer and artist, and letters by Bill Nuttall. But what I loved was, it's so violent. <laughs> There's no way. I mean, luckily, um, I used to pick up the comics, and back in those days, there was no, for mature readers, vibe and because it was an English comic there's no comics code authority everyone just assumed oh it's a comic yeah it's kid friendly um if my parents knew <laughs> what I was reading they'd probably lose a oh they'd go nuts but um I never felt that it never walked or damaged me don't I don't know <laughs> anyway um but it was just fun and now as an adult is when it's really hitting home how clever the writing and art in these things were Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. And like I say, some of these will, will, you know, like say this, this, this balance that has this, this comic has for these different bits and pieces. Like flesh is great, and it looks great. Like it's, a, yeah. it's a beautiful it's strip. So, yeah. Um, I remember when I was going to say, mine was a few years after you, but like I remember picking up two thousand AD, the news agent, and it being next to the Beano, because even the news agents was like, um, it's comics, it's comics, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beano, Dandy, Judge Dread, two thousand AD. Whatever, like, you know, like looking magazine or something like that was like next yeah. to it. You're like, la, yeah, looking, yeah, yeah. But then they're like, oh, the, <laughs> then they'd be like, the viz, or no, the viz has got to be on the top shelf. And you're like, oh, all right, yeah. So, yeah, so flesh is an interesting one. And like you say, the violence is great and it's sort of, it's quite in your face. You know, you said yeah. about that melodrama stuff, it's like in your face. Like they're not pulling back. It's like they were, oh, no. they're clearly baiting the uh, sentence, mm-hmm. like, aren't they? Like, Go on, try and, you know, what you're going to totally. do. Um, and that shows, I think, in a couple of the others as well. Because um, like Mac One, you say about Mac One, I want to get into Mac One because Mac One is an interesting one because it's clearly like even they admit it was like it's our version of the six million dollar. Yeah. <laughs> but like you know, I don't know how big that was in the U. If it had you know UK distribution, but I think it appeared on TV, so they were pretty. Oh, six million dollar man was a huge part of my childhood. Oh, really? The action figures, the t-shirts. Oh yeah, I mean the fact that. Issue two, Prog two of two thousand ID had those um, bionic yes, tattoos, tattoos, yeah. which I remember putting on and say, "Look, I'm bionic. I'm the six million dollar man." And we've we all did it. Everyone who picked up that comic did that. But Mac One was clever in a way because he didn't have machine parts or machine limbs or a fake highlight of the six million dollar man. He had the computer in his brain mm. telling him what to do, how much power he needed to use, what information he needed to make this jump and that jump. I mean, that's not evident in issue two. That's that's in later. But the fact that he would then inject him with like the adrenaline or what he needed to perform these feats, and he had the strength of fifty men—that's repeated <laughs> over the course of the five-page strip. But it was just like, oh my god, this is like a superhero with no cape and tights, but he's saving the world and jumping on planes years before Tom Cruise did it. Who is Tom Cruise? <laughs> Mac One all the way, mate. Well, it feels, well, looking at Mac One and, and, and like, you know, when you flip through it, like you, you say about superhero, because superheroes really are... A rarity in 2000 AD. Well, they're a rarity in British comics as well, really, aren't they? They're very much like an Americanism. Like we have, the heroes of, of Britain were more... You know, you had like uh, war heroes or space heroes, like, like, like Dan Dare, or you get sort of others. So we never sort of feel comfortable doing the, the cape and cow bit, really, in this country. It never sort of fits well with, with British comics. And so we do, we go like, well, let's just strip them down of that and have a guy who can just do this stuff. And it's sort of like, it's more akin to, like I say, closer to like James Bond and that espionage yes. adventure, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I do like that aesthetic. And, and uh, one of the things is, again, like, as you say, looking back, 
I think it was the early 2000s, maybe the late 90s, I can't remember. They did a, like, a parody issue of, in, in 2008 of all their sort of like previous... Really? Things. They did, and it was... Not, not not jokey parody, it was on. They did a couple of... They did like Blair one. Tribute parody, yeah. It was still... Oh, it was I'd still, love to have seen that. It was still, um, it was still like, you know, pretty hard-hitting, but instead of Mac one, it was Blair one. So it was Tony Blair <laughs> doing stuff. Um, and it was that, that was quite funny. Now, so even reading this, I was like, I remember that one. That was quite funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so who were so for, for Mac One? Who what were the credits for that? Script was Robert Flynn, uh, with art by Ennio Ligasamon, so another Italian um, storyteller, mm-hmm. and letters by Jack Potter again. But I love that, even though you could see that these were draftsmen, these are storytellers. The fact that the style is so distinct and different, I like. Um, Invasion was a lot darker, grittier. More Punisher-esque, mm. whereas Flesh was um, actually very Jurassic Park in yeah. places, but decades before. But Mac 1 was almost more the lighter comic strip feel. And I don't know if that was on purpose because of the character or because of the situation. But like you said, it felt more like Bionic Bond than, than a superhero mm. strip. And then the style changes again completely with another Italian artist for the Dan Desert, but, we'll, but we'll come to that. So I just have the... With an anthology, which is why I thought I was cheating, and I asked you when you said which comics did I want to pick, can I pick an anthology? Because it's not a trade paperback. It is a one single issue comic, so I didn't cheat. But you are literally getting five or six comics in one with this, and that's what's so beautiful about it. Oh, I agree. And that's sort of like, as a kid... Because you know, we we know I'm not going to rag on the Beano and the Dandy because as you look, it's the same thing. Like yeah. the Beano and the Dandy have this great thing. They did like, it in one or two page strips. Yeah, like the like, weekly. You know, you'd have like uh, uh, Dennis the Mess be on the front cover and the back cover, and that was the story. Yeah. Then you'd have like like say a two page strip for like um, you know the Bash Street Kids or Billy Wynn. In the or center whatever. pages, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, yeah, it's it's you get you you have this sensibility, but you know, for as, a, as I think as a British comic reader. And, and it's just so, so well done that you do. I remember picking this up and as a kid and being like, I've got what, how many stories? Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Value for money. Yeah. Unimaginable. I don't know you say. And they were how much? Oh, 8p. 8p. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, that's the other thing as well. I'll say that the, the price of 2008 was always reasonable. I think it still is now, to be perfectly honest. Um, and what you're you getting? Get, what you're getting, yeah. Yeah. Um, I struggle a little more now I'm older because I do yeah. sort of go, I've read eight pages, like I'm desperate. So I, I often trade weight now for things. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think as a kid, I mean, I wish I'd been, you know, be able to pick these early ones up because I think it'd blow my mind. I'd have been like, what is this? Like, you know. Yeah, it was so different. I mean, it's evoking the emotions in me now as a grown man where I thought, I, I just never seen anything like it. It was a real punch in the gut different thing and i'm just so glad that my parents never realized what it was i had in my hands thank you for news agents for never looking at the content and putting it amongst the other stuff one mm-hmm. thing i would say before we move on is it's about this one because it came out in 77 there's a bit of a zeitgeist change in that year because you also get star wars coming out yeah and so yeah. you get like the birth of like not the birth because that's a stupid thing to say but like you know you birth get of the, sci-fi love in the country yeah, yeah something they hadn't seen since the 60s yeah no exactly and i think it, re- it reinvigorated a lot of stuff and so i think people were looking for something and i think that really gave this you know 2008 a boost um because because we'll talk about the next one was like it, this was sort of i'm not saying a rebirth but like they, they brought back dan dare like he yeah, had eagle. eagle yeah yeah he had yeah. eagle comics and 
Dan Dare was a flagship character I get you, that you never see anymore. I, I think it's a real shame. Yeah. But Dan Dare should like shame, yeah. someone like Titan Comics or someone like that should be doing a bloody Dan Dare comic. DW. Yeah, yeah IDW. Definitely. Someone needs to yeah. be doing one. I find it baffling that they're not. But it's a great, it's a great uh, uh, property that someone should be doing with. But see, so you, so you got Dan Dare, who was the like, and from my understanding, he was a star in the original issues before Judge Dredd really took off. The star of 2008 was Dan Dare. That was the selling point. And that's what I was going to say. Was yeah. it? That's what they thought their big yeah. selling point was going to be. Dan Dare. Um, and you said like another great artist, like another you know another transitional artist. This goes Not from really. one thing to the next. It's so so good. I mean, this is the guy who, along with Mick McMahon, did the early Slane strips. Yeah. But for me, his crowning achievement, and it's a really Marmite strip for 2008, was Ace Trucking Company. I yeah. love that. I thought it was great because it was really clever adult humour disguised as stupid sci-fi comedy. And that's one of the things that the 2008 did brilliant as well. I mean, D.R. and Quinch. Hello. Yeah, I love D.R. and Quinch. Yeah. Oh. But Bellardinelli's art in this, if you didn't know it was him, you'd be hard pressed to associate it with Ace Tracking and the stuff he did later. Mm. Because again, it's D. I mean, this is pure hard sci fi, this yeah. Dan Dare strip from 2082. And it's gorgeous. Really it gorgeous. You, you, one of the things I would say is, I was, that was interesting, I was looking at some of the panels, and I was like, you can see, like you say, he's one of the, he seems to be one of those artists, and there's a few that do this. They'll look at the, what they're going to draw and go, right, I need to adjust my style totally. to do what is going to be. Like, you know, th- this can't be too comedy or too hard-hitting. Like, I can't be too heavy on the inks or whatever. And this feels a bit like he's looked at earlier Dan Dare. Eagle Comics. Totally, yeah. He's, he's totally gone back and so gone, totally. oh, that's, that's the aesthetic that, that this thing has. I'm not going to copy it, but I'm going to... You know, homage. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fit it so it doesn't feel too jarring, and it does. It feels like a great continuation. Absolutely, but with its own. When you look at stuff like swirling smoke and mist and the alien figures, it's still got that intricate Bellardinelli, those mm-hmm. those flowing lines it is that he's famous for, and that's when you think, well, actually, that does look familiar, and that's when you realise that this is a guy who is clearly loving and honouring what came before but putting his unique stamp on it. Yeah, and that totally. is a real line to balance. Really, it is. Really yeah. Balance. Without, without, like, you don't, yeah, you're not stamping all over it. Like, you know, you're yeah. going to go, right, I'm not going to make it this. It's, it's yeah. It, and this one I want to highlight is like, because this was a small comment when it came out. Like, I thought they, they really thought this was going to be a short run. They were totally it on for a couple of years. Yeah. They thought this was, <laughs> they thought this was going to be a one and, you know, yeah. Like someone's going to, it's almost like, what do they call it? Like imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like they were convinced that someone's going to figure this out. Like, you know, oh, it's not going to last. And it's obviously still going now. So, but they thought, mm. yeah, but they still threw like, this is the thing that I think that makes this so strong is like, they never half asked it. You know, at no point where they're like, oh, pff, right, just get sound to it to just bang a couple of issues out. Like, no, no, no the artist and the writing is usually pretty strong or at least got a message. 2008, sometimes random when I think I'm bored. I'll still put to the news agent and just pick up an issue out of nowhere. Mm. And every single one, I still think, yeah, they've still got it. And that is so rare. Yeah. Yeah. I think even some, like you say, one of the things I love doing, like you say, you know, especially with some of the modern issues, because I'm the same, but every now and then I'll sort of like, because I do trade work, I'll see what's going on. I'm like, oh, that looks good. I'll, I'll, I'll pick that up at some other point. Dread it. It's hard to read weekly. Yeah, sometimes like I say, because you know, I've got I've got the app. So sometimes you go into the yeah. graphic novel section and go, oh, wicked, I've got, they've got that now. Bang that. Um, 
But you do sort of look at them and you go like, yeah, the art from, from story to story and that is so different and so, and so you know, experimental at times. I'm like, yeah, like you say, they're not, they're not half-assed. They're still doing their thing, which is great. Um, we're going to talk about someone we know now and someone I think we know, everyone should know. Uh, Harlem Heroes. This is an interesting one. Again, we didn't even know that in some ways the UK in 1977 was more progressive than the comic <laughs> scene worldwide today. This was a team of black heroes in 1977. Mm. And I didn't realise that as a child. I just saw really cool guys flying around in a dangerous sport and screw you, J.K. Rowling. Um, this is Quidditch before Quidditch, yeah. but with violence, <laughs> fisticuffs, martial arts and jetpacks thrown in. This is the real deal. And like we've said since we started recording, Dave Gibbons. Mm. What a legend. I mean, he's lost nothing. I mean, in fact, if anything, he was more detailed then than he is now. He, he He's um, loosened up a lot more. But again, the dynamics, the body language, and the one British artist in this issue, I think, I don't think the... Yeah, is this a scarer? Oh, no, no, Mike McMahon. Mike McMahon mm. uh, penciled um, the Dread Strip. But Gibbon's art in Harlem Heroes is just to die for. Yeah. It's stunning. And again, so progressive. And the way they recruit, because in issue one, half the team got killed. Yeah. And in issue two, they're recruiting. <laughs> and the fact that they've got an old guy joining the team who's a veteran, I mean, progressive, inclusive. In 77, in ways we can only dream of today. And people are saying, oh, we're all woke with this, that, and the other. Sorry. No, we're not. We're going backwards, mate. Yeah. If, if, if Damn anything, you, Trump. Yeah. If, if anything, there was that thing of, like, like you say, it, it's not even an issue. It's just like, oh, yeah, we're just, these are the hit. The Harlem heroes are going to be these characters, and this is it, and you're just following those. Brilliant. It's great. Um, and it, it is. It, it's, like you say, you say about Gibbons, like you say, this is one of, he's one of those artists that I like to see you know, like he obviously went on to uh, to do a lot of stuff, and obviously, you know, Watchmen aside, like the amount of stuff this guy did, like, I think he pretty much drew for like every strip. Like I've I've recently been going back and reading Rogue Trooper. Oh, genius! And his work on Rogue Trooper oh, is genius, absolutely, like phenomenal. Yeah, like yeah, from the off, and it's one of those things again. Like we were saying before, we sort of you know we were saying about artists that just hit the road and just sort of like, and again, like I think like Road Trip is a character that needs a, a push. Like there's rumors of um, what's it? Um, I forget his name. Like Duncan, whatever, David Bowie's son, yeah. doing a Road Trip movie. Great because it needs it, and because it's, it's an amazing character. But like you say, this guy's art is just sort of like on point always. Like a one, yeah. I mean, no, sorry, you say. No, I was going to say, one of the things I'm, I'm looking back to a lot of this, one of the things I often find, and yeah, you know, you, you're a comic critic, right? so you, you see this stuff a lot. One of the things I often, sort of, when you spot art, anatomy, like in, in, in yeah. action poses, is, is difficult. Like, you know, sometimes it looks a little off, or, you know, and, and, and if, sometimes it can be glaringly off, or just a little bit like Uncanny Valley kind of off. But you go through this book, this comic, and some of the stuff that's drawn in this, and the thing I'm, I'm sort of hitting on Dave Gibbons because you say about the sports stuff and the sort of the constant action, like there's no fault, there's nothing to fault in this. It's actual people 
doing athletic things. It's yeah. not like superhero poses, guns flexing, um, buttocks clenched. It's yeah. just natural sports people. And where you can really spot it is, and I, I didn't realise it, there's a one-page ad showing the tech of the Harlem Heroes, how they do mm. work and their helmets and stuff like that. And the picture of Giant isn't by Gibbons, and you can spot it a mile off. But it is the first piece of published art by Kevin O'Neill. Oh, really? That's actually Kevin O'Neill. And compared, because we know that this guy turned into a 2018 legend. I mean, yeah, Nemesis yeah. the Warlock, to me, is the, one of the greatest strips ever to come out of 2018. That's pure Kevin O'Neill. Mm. And League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. With, um, He's got Alan such Moore. a... Look, martial law. Like, the guy's got such yeah, a definitive yeah. style that, like, you know, excellent. That, you would never know, yeah. was the same artist because this was that was his beginnings. And it's just wonderful to see, again, that progression of these guys who are legends now and, and where they started off. But like you say, Gibbons, from day one, yeah, he, he is like an amazing artist, phenomenal artist, and I will like him like when he goes on to do so much other stuff. And I say, but yeah, anyway, so we'll, we'll carry on. But last one, and you know, this is a, this is the special one, saving because, the best for last. Yeah, it, it's an, <laughs> well, this is an interesting one because it's like you say, this is uh, Judge Dredd, Judge Whitey. So this is the first appearance of Judge Dredd. Didn't appear in the first prog, only appeared in the second. Um, written by, I believe, is it is this still early? Is this John Wagner early, or is it someone else? It says Peter Harris, but I'm sure that was a pseudonym. I'm sure that was a pseudonym for Wagner or Grant or Mills. Mm. This um, is what actually, I'm not sure. So this is a question I had, and I need to go back because I listened to quite probably last year now. Well, no, probably even year before. Christ, Pat Mills did that uh, the the biography a lot. You know, the history of 2000 AD. Yeah, great book. If anyone gets a chance to read, it, I'll, be, I'll put a link in the notes below because it's a fantastic book. Do it, read it. Um, but in that, he talks about sort of like they actually got to some random guy in to do a story for Judge That's Dredd, who was like an accountant or like something weird, because they didn't have time to. I've got, I've, I've still got a feeling that this might be it. It might be him. Okay. Because Perfect. the first one that was supposed to be drawn was meant to be drawn by the great uh, Carlos Square. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't have. They didn't have a story ready, and they said, we've got this one. And, and obviously, he said, you know, McMahon was there. I was like, well, we'll get it done. So this wasn't supposed to be the first issue, and I've got a feeling that's it. So I'm, I'm not saying that's don't quote me, yeah. but I just have a feeling that that's actually what it is. Um, well, if that's the case, that's even more impressive. It is, yeah. Because um, honestly, so much that came after is already foreshadowed in this simple five-page story, like the Chief Judge, who was called something completely different than this. And the mega city, and the fact Whitey appears years later after um, yeah, he comes back. back. Yeah, but the whole thing of from the first appearance, Dread is the one they all want to prove themselves against. He's yeah. the greatest judge. He's the toughest. He's the meanest. If we kill Dread, we'll be legends. This, that, and the other, and that's from his first appearance. Yeah, and if this is from a guy who isn't a proper proper comic scriptwriter, then damn. Yeah, I bow I, to you, sir. I think I think it was one of those where he was he wanted to be because it says I'm just looking at it, it says Peter Harris here in, in, yeah. the, in the, the I've got the complete Judge Dread, and one of the things here you go. So there's two things in this that's really fascinating. So we know now, obviously, you know, you and I, are big Dread fans, the Dread that came about is this authoritarian regime. Yep. You know, the justice system is what controls Mega City and a bunch of Mega Cities across the globe. 
um, came about because of the war, the nuclear war, blah, blah, blah. Right? So in this, though, it opens with this, like, this great thing where you can tell that they're still trying to find their way because it's... Um, um, here you go. Uh, judges are special lawmen of the 21st century, elected yeah. by the people to enforce the law. And then they go, and you can actually see that what they, they're not, because it says police on one of the things. So the police are still yeah. involved in this. The judges are like a special squad. Yeah. And that goes away very quickly. Very um, quickly. But like, yeah, like you said, but there's a lot of other stuff like Dread being the top dog and. Um, you know this this idea of the, the judicial system being in place, and yeah. I, one of the weird things of this is though, Dread doesn't kill anyone really in this first issue. Um, the, the 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 punishment is excellent. I love it. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> we we should learn a thing or two from that. Yeah, yeah. Just drop people in the middle of the M twenty five for for five yeah. years. Um, you drop someone on an island, they, like a, a traffic on, they can't get off because the traffic is so fast all around it. Um. But yeah, it feels like I'm not gonna say softer, um, but it's clear that they were sort of like with dread, they were still sort of finding their feet a little bit, which is um, quite interesting. But still, the way that they made him a force to be reckoned with, even though, like you said, he doesn't kill anybody, mm. and the fact that the bike's there from day one, he's got yeah. his superiors that he answers to, but he's still the most dreaded and well, pun intended, yeah. dreaded and feared judge on the streets. It's just magic. Really, yeah. is so cool. It's one of those things, like I said, that, like um, we were saying about the characters before. Throughout 2008, when you go and I think you know, you you have like a longer history than I. There are certain characters, like from the first issue, and you go, oh, yeah, th- this is going to stick around for a while. And then there's others you go, you know, I I love this one. Like it's a cult favorite, but I know it's not going to go well. Like I have like favorites of like Armored Gideon and Finn that I'm like, yeah, they're never going to be given the full love that I would love them to be. But you know, but then like you say, the first issue of Rogue Trooper, you're like, oh yeah, no, this I I totally understand why this this went for so long and expanded for so many years. And the same with Dread. Like you read this first issue and you're like, oh yeah, no, I completely understand why this worked. Um, totally. And why, after a couple of issues, it sort of just took off. Pure magic. I mean, that costume design for a start, and it's evolved over the years. But basically, the 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 helmet, the the shoulder pads, the badge, stuff like that. It's it's enhanced, but it's virtually identical. You know mm-hmm. that's Judge Dredd from his first appearance, and that is superb. Yeah, it's one of those things. When they say, if, you know, if you can identify a character from their silhouette, then you know, you're onto a winner. And even in this this early iteration, you're like, oh no, I can see, you know. Um, in fact, I was thinking, as I was reading it earlier on, I was sort of flicking through the um, the, the story. And you know, you see these, they, they, like you'll see them on Twitter or sort of Instagram or wherever. And people will do all the iterations of the uniform of sort of like the costumes. People are like, you know, Batman from 1939 through to yep. now and whatever, or Superman from the internet or Green Lantern or Wonder Woman. And I was thinking like, I'd love someone to do a Judge Dread one. Like, you know, 1977. Yeah, like, could you do it? Like, here's all the milestone ones. Like you say, you'd see, like, the shoulder pad increase or the eagle. And then it's you to get be out one. there somewhere. Someone must have done it. I'd love to see it. Like, I was yeah, like... Was, crime if it isn't out there, wouldn't it? Yeah, like, I'd, how good that, would that be as a poster? Like, to, you know, just, oh, as a pin-off. Like, all the... Take something down off my wall for that. Yeah, think it's because it's 45 years to this year, 
uh, isn't it? So this is the 45th year, uh, yeah, this, uh, year. this year. Uh, and also other things that there's actually a, a, a um, I'm sure it's a, is it Judge Dredd or a 2000 AD? I think it'll be Judge Dredd um, comic. Um, is it the, it's the Comic Museum um, has got a, a, a an event on at the moment, an exhibit of all the art stuff. And I'm like, I was thinking about all that. I was like, like, it feels like there's a missing, like, I want to see that. Like, you know, like, I'm, I'm, it was the cover, it was the cover on here. So I've got the, the complete case files number one. If you, on the front of that, it's like the, the one of the early silhouettes of Dredd. And I was like, start with that. You know that sort of thing. Years, yeah. yeah, and then go through the years. You've got the much smaller shoulder pad and sort of the different collar, and then go through the years, like you know, or at least the iterations of where things start to change. Like it would look ace. It'd be awesome. Heavy metal dread in there somewhere, you know, like in the nineties. That yeah. crazy, crazy. Oh, your dread. Simon Bisley style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff, man. Oh, I'm gonna have to do some of my um. <clears throat> Research after this episode now, Scott. I mean, yeah. someone I've set, I've set the horses. I've, I've set the dogs racing. Yes, I, I want to see it. I want to see it. Like that's something. Yeah. So yeah, Dave, if you can find it, Rebellion. If you're listening, like you know. Yes. In fact, I, I might. There's a there's a couple of people I might be, I might even sort of contact and be like, uh, has this ever been done? Just I might do some some let's say some research as well, uh, and have a look at this after. Um, but yes, but you know, let's we'll move on from 2018. But any final thoughts and everything about this issue because. I think we've we've lauded it an awful lot. I say thank you to Pat Mills and to everyone involved with this yeah. comic because, like you said, forty-five years later, it's not just still going; it's still going strong. You said beautifully that this is a comic where every single creator is giving it a hundred percent weekly. Yeah, that is a task. Yeah, and the fact that this tiny little British comic that no one ever thought would run more for a couple of years has had two Hollywood blockbusters come out of it. Um, and Judge Dredd is known mm-hmm. globally. Well, come on, can I say? It makes me proud to be British. It does. Uh, what I would say is, though, you say, you know, it's had two Hollywood blockbusters. Oh, well, almost three, because, you know, we're not blockbuster, but hard, the film Hardware... Oh, yeah, complete rip-off, totally, complete... yeah. <laughs> One the... And they, they admitted it decades later, didn't they? Yeah, I was going to say, they admitted it. So, you know, that's totally a, 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 a thousand future shock. So, well, you know, so we'll, we'll I'll take I'll take that as well. Um, yeah. But what, we'll I would, what I would say is, it's, it's, it's sad to me that there's not more. And, you know, I know that some of the rights have been sold off to the people. They're just sat, like I said, we hear rumours of Rogue Trooper, but, like... <laughs> Like you said, like just from this issue, like why isn't there a satirical show like of, of uh, invasion, you know, or Harlem Heroes would be great. Like you know, there's um, if you like dinosaurs, we like Jurassic Park's good, right? Do Flesh, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Jurassic Park for a majority rated R Jurassic Park. Yeah, dude. And as you go through the history, that? exactly, you go through the history of 2008. There's so many characters. I'm just like, what? Why is this not slain? Slain. Yeah, <laughs> mate. I would watch the ever-living shit out of a Slay movie or 10. Oh, can, can you imagine, like, you know, if you think Conan the Barbarian, if you think Arnie is Conan the Barbarian was good, like, wait till you meet this Celtic nutjob. Like, it's Eating Conan for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Warp out, baby. I was going to say, that's what I'm saying. Can you imagine, like, the, you know, no one knows what they're going. I'm going to go see this sort of, I think it's like Braveheart, and then he warps yeah. out, and you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> and Fantas- Yeah, a dark fantasy epic. Again, like, you know. <laughs> 
the world is ready for these kinds of heroes or anti-heroes, I should say. Like, I think Just ready. I think we're in desperate need of these characters, to be mm. quite honest. Because I'm really starting to get marble fatigue. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, want, I, am. I want someone to do with a comic book movie what 2008 did to me when I was seven as a kid. Well, it's, it's funny, like, before we move on, one of the things is, I, you know, um, I've watched the first three issues, thank you very much, of Peacemaker. Yeah. And you watch that and you sort of go, yeah, that's sort of what this needs. You know, someone to sort of, like, give it an injection of, like, you know, I don't give a fuckiness. Like, you know, yeah. we're going to do something different. And I think if you were to have something like Slain or like a badass war film like Rogue Trooper or something like just come out of nowhere, I think it would come out of nowhere. And you could, if you did it right, it would absolutely obliterate like you know things left, right, and centre. Yeah. Well, I need to ask your opinion on something, mate, because obviously, mm. even though I might have a longer history with these comics, I will bow down to your knowledge of 2018 and dread to mine, because you've got literally got back and rebought and collected everything. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the um, Judge Dredd Origin series they're making and then the casting announcements they've made? I have, I've sort of kept away from some of it because I keep getting, we keep getting teased. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were like, Dread, and when Dread came in, Dread, when Dread came out in 2012, I was well, the like... The fact there's official casting surely must make you think, oh, actually, maybe this is happening now. I- I'm hoping... Um, I haven't seen it. Like, I'm, I, because the, you know, they had the Mega City. And there was like there was a there was a big announcement. We're going to do Mega City. And it's going to be a TV show. It's going to be at the judges and like Dread will appear in it. And it may be Carl Urban. It may not be. And we're going to do this and that. And there was going to be all these web releases and there was these announcements. They were going to do casting. And I was all in on it. And then it just went and died. And then you hear this thing and you're like, I don't. I've I've been teased too much. Until I see, it's almost like until I hear cameras are rolling, I don't want to know. I'm excited. It's one of those things I'm excited, but I'm like, until I hear cameras are rolling or something, I'm a bit like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get my hopes up again. (laughs) It sounds great. Like it sounds like the concept sounds ace. Well, the fact that they've cast one actor to play Rico and Joe for a start is already better than Armand Asante and uh, Sylvester Stallone, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's a, right dire- it's a step in the really? right direction. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do look vaguely similar. Yeah, you mean they're, you mean they're mm. Italian American? That's what I yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's identical, isn't it? They're close. Yeah, yeah. they're ethnic, they're ethnically close. Yeah, yeah. I often think that when you watch that film, and I'm like, hmm, I'm not entirely sure you understand cloning. But then they didn't have the tech. We shouldn't have done that story then. But there you go. Uh, I, I, it's, yeah, I am excited, but I'm very conservative. Yeah. yeah, simply because I know what I'm like. Yeah. I'll go all in, and then they'll be like, you know, it can't. Uh, we've done a pilot, and it hasn't been sold. We were or, holding out for the dread sequel so long, weren't we? Yeah, and that's exactly because there was announcements of that. There was like Carl Urban was like, I'm all up for it. I'll do this, and like, what's it? Alex Garland was like, you know, it's been released on DVD and Blu-ray. It's released. It's actually now made enough. It's now yeah. made a big profit. It's become a cult yeah. hit. People, all these critics were lauding it. Nothing. And so yeah. I'm, I am now like, and I, I, this rule goes for all things now. Wise, mate. Not, Very not wise. Just, not just for this, but like every time I hear a rumour, I'm like, until I hear cameras are rolling, you know, I'm, it's like, um, I kept, I'm a big fan of like the Evil Dead. And they were like, they're going to do this with the Evil Dead. They're going to do that. And I'm like, until I hear that Bruce Campbell's in front of a camera, like, That's what I wanted you to say, Bruce yeah. Campbell. No, Bruce Campbell. No yeah. Until Bruce Campbell's in front of the camera, like, I'm not 
involved. So, you know, yeah. that's that's my stance at the moment. Come and ask me in a couple of months and you might hear me squealing like a little girl. I don't know. You know, <laughs> we'll see. We'll pick it up. The com- we'll pick up the conversation. Um, right. Anyway, let's jump forward in time. Let's jump forward. So we're going to jump forward a decade. We're going to jump to 1991 and a very nice, an excellent uh, early 90s comic. Incredible Hulk uh, 377. And give, just give them the plot. Steve, if you just give the plot of this issue and then we'll get into it. Because there's a couple of things on this one I want to talk about. It's incredible because it, it was um, three, four years into Peter David's legendary mm-hmm. decade-long run on the Hulk where when you get a writer who no one's made more of a mark on Hulk than this guy, mm. but he did it in a way that honoured Stan and Jack and Steve Ditko and Bill Mantlo and Herb Trimp and everyone that went before him, the Beschemers, because he just wanted to give the world a rationale as to why the Hulk was grey on his first appearance. Spoke like a grumpy teenager for years. Then he was a mindless child. He grew in size, shrunk, was stronger, was weaker. Bruce was in control. Bruce wasn't in control. And he basically made it that, with a combination of 377, that everyone had treated the Hulk as a physical Mm. threat. When it was all in Bruce's head, his abuse as a child, the, the wife killing dad, which is something that Tony and I love about Ang Lee's Hulk movie and other people hate, but I, I think that film's a masterpiece. It was very true to the comics. And literally, this is the story where finally Bruce and Hulk realise that they are one and the same. They can't live without each other. And you said it beautifully before we started recording. Stuff like Immortal Hulk. Yeah every modern age Hulk story would not exist without this one issue and Peter David's work. So this is where we first meet a permanent or semi-permanent, because nothing else forever in comics, intelligent <laughs> Hulk. And it's so well done because he doesn't do it with chemicals or a radiation bath or being bombarded by gamma rays. No, he sat down and got psychoanalyzed by Leonard Samson. Yeah, this is what I, I, I this this is this issue because again I'd never read this and I didn't know this until like when I was reading it and I was and I was like flicking through it, um and it's fun. The thing is what you said about things. It's fun. It's a fun issue. Like there's some interesting bits. Great comic. Yeah. It's a really good comic. Like it opens with a bit of humor. You know, when the two because you've got Grey Hulk uh, and Green Hulk and then sort of Bruce and sort of sat in the middle. Like they are like you said they're in a gr- they're in group as it were. And then the two hooks want to go each other, but they can't physically attack each other in this mindscape. And to, to be fair, like you know, you said Peter Davidson's um, Peter David, sorry, arc is, is is definitive. It's one of those arcs, isn't it? Like characters have those sort of like, um, you know, you think of like Frank Miller's Daredevil. You think of like, you know, um, these the Swamp Thing, No yeah. Game of Sandman. Exactly, these sort of arcs where you go like, oh, that's the definitive run, like. Everything that you said, like you know, stuff that came before it, maybe is like bits and pieces, and then this happens, and then it sort of rebaselines yeah. the character, and just everything grows off that. Um, I often think of like uh, Brew Baker's Captain America as well. Yes, those sorts of things. completely. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, you get a shock, and you're like, "Oh, this character's now doing something different," and that's what this feels like, and it's so sort of like fresh. And, you know, being a Moon Knight fan as well, so this approach to sort of like DID, um, but taking it seriously, 
uh, and having this thing about, oh yeah with respect yeah, yeah and having this idea of the trauma like not just sort of like you know this trauma is what drove it and then having this sort of monster father figure literal monster father figure like is it yeah. it's so good like it's so well done so um, glad you liked it. I'm really happy about that. No, I was like, I was just really impressed. I mean, it's got, like you say, it's it balances some of the greatness because it's got, it's got this great psychoanalytical stuff going on, and it has some fantastic scenes where this monster thing attacks the two hawks and breaks them because they're, they're they fear this monster. Yet it's still got some of that sort of like 80s, 90s silliness. Like you've got the guy who's hypnotizing him. Um, ringmaster ringmaster and even he's like there's some great lines where he's like i shouldn't have even been in prison in the last one wasn't my fault i didn't know what my guys in the circus were doing <laughs> like there's just that there's still that comic book silliness where i'm like i love that that's great that's yeah what i love about this um but it, it, it's there's a couple of moments that are just like i say just like heart-wrenching like when he's you i'm spoilers for everyone if you go what read it it's amazing to read this when he he does have this the confrontation of having to remember his mother's death and and he he, i've got it in front of me now bruce this mindscape bruce back like falls to his knees and grabs his younger self and he's like show emotion you cry shout do something and then it just sort of like the little boy turns into the Hulk and it says, he says, I reacted, a nuclear reaction. Happy now. Yeah. yeah. And you're just like, what child did you have? Like, yeah, what did happen to you? That this, like, yeah, it's 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 ahead of its time, really, I think. Completely. Yeah. Um, and it still reads well today. I mean, sometimes you remember these comics from your childhood or your adolescence and then being so impactful and so powerful. And then you read them again as an adult, and you think, oh God, actually, that's not great. That is not true of this. I mean, I'm, Scott, you've really made my day, mate, by saying you've read this and you loved it. Oh, thank you. Because honestly, I just wanted to pick three great comics. And mm. this is that. It's a, just a great comic. It's funny. It's action-packed. It it's thought-provoking. It's emotional. And you go away looking at the whole in a completely different way than you ever did before. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, having not read this and then reading like, um, um, what's it, Ewan's um, recent run, Immortal Hulk, the thing I kept thinking of in my head, um, it it brought it to me, it was like Grant Morrison's Batman. Yes. Where he was like, oh no, everything's canon and I'm going to give you a reason as to why it's all canon. And this is that same sort of thing where it's gone like, as you said, like, oh, I'm going to account for everything. I'm I'm going to try and box it off but in a really sort of in a good way. Like we, you know, we're going to address like Joe fix it. We're going to address the color and all this other stuff. Um, and it does it. And, you know, and this is, I can see why this is like a milestone issue. I actually weirdly, when I was sort of looking at this online, um, you know, obviously things come up like eBay bits and pieces, you know, cause I was just looking at a bit of history of it. And this goes for like, like 80, 90 quid for an issue. Stop it. No, no I, don't, I don't know what sort of grade they were, but there was like, yeah, for, for like an issue of this, it was going for like 90, 80 or 90 quid. So it's clearly like a milestone issue for, for people. Like I got it on, on Comixology. Um, yeah. And it's one of those where I'm like, uh, I'm going to go back and read some of this. Because I've read, again, it's like Peter Davies' run, I've read bits of it, but yeah. did you read this when it first came out, did you? Yeah, I've got all the issues. I've got every individual issue. Fantastic. What a collection. Yeah. Oh. Um, 
one thing I'm going to ask, there's, in fact, there's a couple of things I want to ask, and so we'll ask us because the art's good as well. It's not. Oh, it's great, isn't it's it? Not, yeah, it's not groundbreaking, but it doesn't need to be because it's it's but it's really solid. It's good, solid comic book art, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the last panel. So that you have that you say this configuration, this sort of the Hulk and, the, and Bruce and everything comes together, and you get sort of like towards the end, and they're in this sort of like Samson's um, hospital or office. I'm not entirely sure, but it ends with Green Hulk coming in. It says, "Honey, I'm home." And this was a little thing on with the art. Like it looks really like I'll, I'll just show you. he just looks really sinister. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was a bit like, I don't think this is going to go well. <laughs> It goes incredibly well oh. for a while, yeah. Because of course, um, rage and losing control. Um, it's literally he's the Ruffalo Hulk we've known from the recent Marvel movies. But <laughs> when you, because <laughs> that is just a face like, finally, I'm whole. Yeah. Finally, I'm with my wife. Finally, I no longer have to transform. This is me now. Permanently, 24-7. But a couple of issues down the line, he gets called into action because he joins like a, a super a team of super spies. <laughs> and um he's going around lugging massive 90s image style guns. I mean, because it was this is a complete FU to the image comics, which are stealing readers from Marvel and DC left yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying listen, I can at image you, but I can do it with smart strips, classic characters. So there's Hulk going around with these massive guns and wearing pink bunny slippers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just pure magic. So, yeah, this is like the, the first iteration. Actually, no, it's not. In the first six issues of Hulk, I don't know if you know this, the, the original, original Hulk one from the 60s lasted only six issues before it was cancelled. Mm -hmm. In those six issues, we saw the Hulk grey, mm. the Hulk semi-smart, the Hulk managed by Bruce Banner's mind, a Hulk who could control his um, transformations by being subjected to like limited doses of gamma rays being shot at him. And the whole immortal Hulk body horror Hulk, where there was one issue right at the beginning where Hulk transformed, but he still had Banner's head. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> in the original Kirby, Dick yeah. Coe, Stanley issues. And what Peter David did was he said, well, I need to, coalesce this and make it real but make it a make sense mm. and b still be fun without baffling people and making this all pop psychology gone wrong because like you said this is a deep comic but yeah there's a shitload of humor but it makes sense yeah so oh yeah there's a dip into this run like you know i've like yeah. read the bits and stuff i'm aware of like this is the first one i read this this makes total sense like yeah. you know if you know hulk and like you go, oh okay, I know the Incredible Hulk. And you read this, and you just go, oh yeah, this makes total the sense. Incredible Hulk. Yeah. yeah, of course, this, is, yeah. Uh, this makes total sense. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like Chris Phelps. Chris Phelps, you know, our, our good friend Chris Phelps is a is a, is a Hulk fan. He loves oh, him from the movies. But I'm thinking like, yeah, this is what I'm like. This is the, one of those things. You know, you sort of say to someone, if you like this character, like here's a run, like here's an arc, go read this. This feels like that. Um, and there was a couple of things, and I, I haven't checked it yet. I haven't got around to it. There's a panel where you first see um, the child, the small child, with the monster figure. And it's a Christmas morning. 
and the boy's got like some Meccano kind of thing, like a you know, like a, he's putting together something, and you've got the monster leaning over him. And I'm not looking, I'm going like, I think this image was redone for Immortal Hulk. Where they've literally, they've Fate literally gone is, yeah. and they have a flashback yeah. and it's exactly the same. And I'm like, look, yeah. it's going like, I've seen this and I'm sure it's an Immortal Hulk and they've done it. I'm like, and, and this is where I love certain comic creators where you're like, you love what's gone before. You know your shit. Yeah. You're not just, like you say, you know, gone, I've got this great idea. We're going to make Hulk uh, in space. And you go, right, what does that mean? Like, with, like, one of the reasons I think the Immortal Hulk worked and sort of struck a chord with so many people was because it was so... At first, it's good. It's just really well written. Um, and the art has been fantastic. But also, like, it hits that chord of every Hulk fan's gone like, oh, yeah. Like, it, it, it knows its origins. It's honoured its origins. It's the extent of, like, flashbacks. So um, I'll be read- I will be reading more of Peter David's uh, uh, Hulk, most definitely. Yes. Like, it's on the Brilliant. list now. It's on the list. Um, Brilliant. So... Yeah, I mean, from your reaction, I'm saying you're going to recommend it as a, as a run. Oh, mate, wholeheartedly. How many, Absolutely issues, wholeheartedly. How many issues did he do? Oh, God, it was close to 10 years. I mean, it's not going to be easy. I mean, if you've got comicology and stuff, you're laughing. Yeah. But hang on a second. You're not going to pull all the issues out now, yeah? No, no, no. Luckily, with this one, I have got a collection for this. Um, not including spin-offs and annuals, uh-huh. 136 issues. That's a really good run. I mean, that's yeah, that's a over 10 run. years. Yeah, yeah, and all of it is wonderful. Yeah, because he, like you said, some writers just want to come on and forget what went before, make their mark on it. This is mine. Yeah, but Peter David, he literally, like I said, went back to the Jack Kirby, Stanley, Steve Ditko original six issues. He went back to the works of John Byrne, where John Byrne mm-hmm. separated the Hulks, and for a while there were two different beings. One was a pure rage beast, one was a scientist, but they couldn't live without each other because they, because they were one. They, they did the physical, they attacked, like they said in this book so beautifully, they attacked the symptoms, yes, not the disease. And I think, Jesus, that's a brilliant piece of writing. That's clever. And when you realise that, yes, Child Hulk Smash is Bruce Banner as a child. Yeah grumpy teenage Hulk is literally that repressed Bruce's emotions coming out. Hormones. I want to meet girls. Yeah. I want to go out. I want to have my own way. I want to drink and get rowdy. And you think, well, Jesus, yeah, of course that makes sense. That, that was me. I've been yeah. there. I've done that. I've lived those. I've, I've had those emotions. And this comic book writer is putting that in an adventure saga, 22 pages, four <laughs> color comic with the most powerful being in, in the Marvel universe. And it's, it's why I picked this comic because it is just a great comic, but it's more than that. Yeah. You can read it as a kid and love the action. You can read it as an adult and get the psychology and you can read it as anything in between. And Oh mate, you've made me so happy by saying you want to read more Peter David now. Cause that my work here is done. That, yeah. that for no, me it, is just the best compliment you could give. It's one of the things, you know, just reading this, there's a section like you say, but the idea of him, him, the, the Hulk representing those different stages of his, of his development, like the child rage and the teenage hormones and stuff. In the in post Me Too world that we live in now, yep. there's a page and stuff. It does the flashback to him being a teenager and he's trying to trying to be, you know, he's at college or whatever, and he's like, no, I've got to do my work. And this girl's coming on to him like again and again. 
and she sort of like keeps pushing him and said, you know, um, she, I mean, she sort of calls him out like, what am I ugly? You know, you're afraid that's all, you know, um, you're afraid to give a girl what she wants, what she needs, which is a little bit, you know, fine. You know, women can be um, sexually aggressive. Absolutely. But then he grabs her and says, oh, I've got what you want here, babe. And he turns into, like, there's a flash of him Hulk, turning yeah. into the sort of the yeah. Grey Hulk. And I love that. It's like, yeah. yeah, no, there's a beast. Like, he's trying to keep this thing repressed and it's in exactly there. Exactly that. Um, and it's so, like, it's, you know, it's no excuse for, for, for you know, sexual assault. Or Absolutely. Rape, but it's saying this thing of, like, yeah. no, like, you know, when you're a young man, when you're a teenager, like, you, and you are trying to be a good guy or something, it's like, it's, you are, you, we have raging hormones, like, you know, and, Absolutely. You sometimes react. Um, and it shows how good a person Bruce Banner really was not to react that way. Yeah, and the fact he does but feel the gamma rays and... let it out, yeah. Yeah, so it's a great... I will be reading more. Like, it was a fantastic issue. And I do thanks for sort of... This is why I like doing uh, Desert Island Comics, because there's so much where I read them, like, oh, that's on the list. Um, but yes, so we'll move on from The Incredible Hulk. Any, any final thoughts on this issue? Because again, like, I think it's, it's a great, great issue. I think you haven't said a thousand times better, mate. The fact that you've read it and you've seen what a talent David had and how it's literally been the fuel for every great Hulk story since. If you want to read more Peter David, then hopefully our listeners, by listening to the show, will want to read more Peter David. And if it gets people, A, reading comics, B, yeah. reading Hulk, and C, picking up work by a fantastic, hugely still under... I mean. Everyone's heard of Neil Gaiman. Everyone's heard of Frank Miller. Everyone's heard of Alan Moore. Too few people have heard of people like Peter David and Dan, James and Mateus. They need to know these writers because they are every bit as good. But they don't do it in a way that's possibly as arty or as, um, for want of a better word, legendary like your Watchmen's or whatever else. But you tell me if you've read a better single issue than Hulk 377. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of those like... Um... By a bob moment, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a like what it is. It's a, it's a revelation, but like, as as an as an issue, you you get like you know we talked about arcs and stuff, and we talked about with the two thousand AD that I did you know the ability to have a concise story, beginning, middle, and end. Like that issue is part yeah. of a wider story. Clearly, it's the combination of four years that issue. Yeah, it's it's, it's clearly yeah, but also you can jump in like I did. Exactly. And you go, right, the, sto the story, the way it's drawn, or the way it's, um, the, the story is told, is like you introduce, you know exactly what's going on, and then by the end of it, you have a resolution. And so I'm like, all right, so this is a chapter in a story. I can see there's a wider story, but I've, get, I've got, like, you know, it's not like I'm left on a cliffhanger that I'm sort of like, yeah. well, I'm left on a cliffhanger, but I'm, left, I'm not left on an unresolved cliffhanger. I'm like, oh, that story is resolved. We can move on to the next thing now. Wicked. So... Yeah, an excellent, excellently written comic. Right, last of the three. Batman Gotham Knights 32 from uh, 2002, October 2002. This is, um, again, uh, writers and I'm not hugely familiar with, but uh, Devin Grayson, uh, Roger Robinson and John Floyd. Cover by the excellent uh, Brian Bolland. Always love his art. Um, but this is called 24-7. So do you want to give a quick a quick sort of uh, overview of what this one is? This was near the end of a massive storyline, um, which started with uh, uh, Batman Bruce Wayne murderer, then turned into Batman Bruce Wayne fugitive, where Bruce Wayne was um, falsely accused of murdering his girlfriend, uh, Vesper Fairchild, the radio um, mm. talk show host. And he literally went on the run for months and gave up being Bruce Wayne and was Batman 24-7. 
but it started having a negative effect on him. So this is when he reclaims um, the Bruce Wayne name. He goes back to work for Wayne Industries. And obviously he's been cleared of all charges. They've got the real killer. But what I love about this story is because people always say that Batman is nonsense, that he'd do a lot more good as Bruce Wayne. But I said, well, you've clearly never read a Batman comic because this shows 24-7 is in the title. One Mm. day in the life of Bruce Wayne and Batman. And you see that even when he's not Batman, because you don't even see Batman until more than halfway through the issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. It starts at like 8 a.m. when he gets up for breakfast, goes to a meeting, and you realise that he's hiring ex-cons, giving oh, yeah. them a second chance at work. He's feeding old people um, in, in shelters. He's um, watching Robin beating up bad guys, not getting involved, letting his protege do the work. He's... Um, building charitable foundations, hospital schools, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then it's not until nightfall comes that he turns into Batman that he does the ass kicking. Yeah. And this to me is like in 20 pages, a simple, brilliant look at the Bruce Wayne Batman dynamic that I'd never seen before and I've seen very rarely since. Again, it's just a single comic that just works as a one-off story, you don't need to know that you stopped being Bruce Wayne for years before that. You don't need to know that um, he fights the Joker and the Riddler and the Penguin because there's no costume villains in this. No. Nope. It's Batman fighting crime. Batman checking in on Two-Face in Arkham Asylum and making a chess move against him. Barbara asking, him asking Barbara Gordon how her dad is. I love that moment. Yeah. It's just the one comment I'd give to people who say that Batman's two-dimensional no, read this and you realise that he's fighting crime and he's fighting injustice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's one of those things, and it's, it's interesting because I have been in that camp of, you know, and what I will say is there are, there are writers that have been in this camp as well. Yes, that, completely. That, Bat, that Batman um, is basically, you know, a negative force, almost like a negative force on Gotham. Cause, you know, he's influencing the chaos and so on and so forth and that, you know, Bruce Wayne is the is the real mask, and he is actually Batman, and he loves kicking up these, you know, just uh, k- kicking the crap out of these people, and you know, almost a that sort of um, Frank Miller approach has been around and sort of has sort of stained the character for years of sort of like you know, no, what drove him was doing this thing. Yeah. He's psychologically damaged. Yeah. And what you get in this issue is a balanced human being where he's like, exactly, this is a resolved Batman. This, this weirdly. This issue makes me think of the animated series. In that Ooh, way, baby. yeah, in the way Completely. that he's like, that he's like Completely. a balanced human. Like, yes, he is Batman, but like as Bruce Wayne, he's going to be doing good as well. And there's some, there's some really. You talk about progressive, like weirdly, sort of like this. The way this story plays out, like, yeah, it is twenty four seven. Like it's a day in the life, yeah. And he goes through, and and I was waiting. This is the cynicism in me. I was yeah. waiting for something in the story to sort of not pan out so there is that moment when the, the the ex-convict is being hired and he gives that story about how batman knew who he was and so he's like well i know I, if he thinks i can do better then i can do better and stuff and i was waiting for there to be like a yeah the shoes are dropping him to mess up yeah there, i was yeah. waiting for something like that and it never comes yeah. and you're just like this is an insanely positive issue <laughs> of batman but it's um, still totally batman yeah um, so that was good. That he, you know, that when there's, he bumps into the kid who's the male delivery lad, and he's sort of like, "Oh yeah," the, the, he remember. He sort of he forgets his name, calling Kobe rather than Cody. 
I've got it here, and he says, like, you know, he says, oh, yeah, I've got into this school, and, and Bruce is like, oh, well done, that's fantastic. And he's like, yeah, well, I can only go part-time because I can't afford it. And then Bruce is like, well, have you heard of the, the Wayne Foundation scholarship? And, like, you know, gives him the form. And he said, well, what have I got to do? You know, how do I get How do I get this? And he's like, well, you're an employee, so you've got it. But for me, you got it. Yeah, and so, like, yeah. and you sort of, I'm constantly going, like, what's going to be... Like you said, where's the when's the shoe gonna drop on this? And there's a couple of things that are interesting. Like you know, he sends off the bulletproof vests to to the Bloodhaven uh, PD, which I love that moment. That's fantastic. Um, and he has because there's Dick Grayson there as well, but not Nightwing. Dick Grayson, yeah. the cop, well, and what he than, says. More than that, one of the things that because I know that, that they have a fractious relationship at times. You know, Dick and, and Bruce. But again, this is one where it's just sort of like. Um, you know, there's, he's, he's he's happy for it. Like, it's a it's a nice moment. And he says, you know, why would someone from Gotham give this as a donation? And, and Dick says, like, well, most I think he just wants us to be safe. And so it's a nice, again, it's like, this is his nice moment. Um, and he tells the guy about, there's the developer, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and that. And he says, oh. Bruce like, yeah. But per, Bruce <laughs> like, per, personally, I like to do charity. You know, I like to build uh, buildings like hospitals and stuff. Because you can put your name on one of those. And you can see he's manipulating the yeah, and you yeah. can see he's manipulating the guy. And I'm like, yeah. of course, like this guy's the greatest detective in the world. Like he's a super intelligent guy. Like, of course, he would he would be manipulating these guys for positive. Um, and one of the things I think is, is there's a weirdly there's like um this is 2002. So again, like you know, within modern comics, but still 20 years ago, um, there's a gay couple, and one of them was saved by Batman, and they have Batman Day, and they have a celebration. Yeah. And I was like, again, I was like, I'm looking at it, going like, this. I know 2002 exactly. Like you know, we were still a little bit homophobic, but that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, th this is a positive Batman where you're like, oh, this sort of makes sense. This is what Batman would become once he's overcome everything. You know, like he's not riddled with, um. You know, you can't be the greatest detective and all these other things and save the planet repeatedly if you are riddled with mental illness into the scale exactly. and depression and guilt and all this other stuff. It wouldn't work. This feels like a guy who's got his shit together. This feels, again, like the Neil Adams Batman or uh, even like the, you know, the Grant Morrison Batman where it's like, yeah, there's problems, but like, no, mostly he's got his, he's got his shit together. Um and I kind of like that. And I thought it was, a, it was a nice depiction in contrast to, and especially as we have lately, because I, I, got, I got Batman fatigue because it was like, this week, Gotham so City burns. Have. Yeah. This, this yeah, week, absolutely. Gotham City burns down. And next week, Gotham City burns down. And like, it's like, oh, Christ. This is just one of those clever issues, like um, where you do, you sort of, you know, you again, like one and not, one and done. It's a great story, but um, it, it's, a, it's it's the positivity of it that I kind of like. I, no, I kind of I do like because it feels like it makes me think. Yeah, but I should be good. Like he should be grim, and the point that like, you know the, the criminal should fear him and see the grim side. But like, why is he always got to be an asshole with everybody else? There you go. Yeah, there you go. You've said everything I could ever possibly want to say, Scott. Thank you, mate. No, it's not no, it's beautiful. I, you're making me so happy right now. Because I, you know, that one thing, if ever I'm picked, say, oh, pick a comic book of it. You know, you know, that Batman's my guy. Batman is my number one. He's my favorite character of all time because of that effect he's had on me since childhood. 
but I am like you, so sick of the dark, ruthless vigilante who can't be beaten. Because I, I hate that aspect. I don't believe in the God Batman. Yes, I think that's crap. I, I do believe that he could take down anyone he set his mind to, but he would be beaten first. There's no way he could win against anybody straight away. That's crap. And if he was that character, I wouldn't like him. Yeah. I like the fact that he is a man who fights alongside gods. He is a man who can die. He gets cut, he bleeds, he cries, but he dusts himself off and he stands back up again until the day he no longer can. Yeah. And I just wanted to show a Batman comic, like I said, a Dunham one, 22 read, satisfying little comic where you see, well, actually, he isn't just a kick-ass crime fighter. He's a good man. Yeah. And he's doing good work from the moment he wakes up to the time he goes to bed. And that's something I wanted to, to to share with people who might have that Batman fatigue. And it's understandable, mate. It is. It's completely it is. understandable. That, I mean, you said it. You read this and you thought, oh, this is this is a guy who's got his shit together. This mm. is actually a good comic with a good, solid character in the middle. Boom, job done. It may, it may, you know, you, you, I think about these things. And, and one of the things I find interesting about, like, you know, Batman is there is a, there is a time when you would have that sort of, like, you know, I mean, ba- Batman is a representative of the, of the time in which he is being written. When he's best, when those stories Absolutely. stand out, I think he is the best. He's a representation of the time. The reason that The Dark Knight Returns worked in the 80s was because New York in particular and Chicago were, 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 had high crime rates. You had gang problems. You know, th- there was that panic and worry in in the street literally in the streets you know they were looking to clean up the city and so you get this comic that represents that you know and, and deals with it great and you had like the nuclear fear which oh, the, the, the dark returns work because it was released in 86 like, that, yeah. that's why it works and so people that try and transpose that to, to like 2022 like it doesn't work because those fears are no longer relevant exactly but there's people that's there's writers that still want to write like you no know, Gotham City riddled by corrupt police and riddled with crime and you're like, no, it's not in there. Yeah, done that. yeah. What we, what we need is a city that sort of like has worked its way back and, you know, it's he, you know, there's a reason that like he, he needs to be there because of the supervillains and other stuff. But like, they need to shift. Gross, I'm like, they need to shift that focus of Batman to be like, how do they make him relevant for 2022? Like. You could have they, they keep touching on these ideas of sort of like the police don't trust the capes kind of thing. It's not been done well yet, I don't think. Um, but when you've got when you have got like a you know, when we are suffering from you know pr- police brutality and police corruption still, and yeah. you've got sort of like you know racial uh tensions and, and all this other stuff, as you sort of say, damn Trump, you know, kind of thing, like there's a great story to be told and I feel like everyone's avoiding it or like dancing around yep. the edges. So you get this rep- repetition all the time, which is really unfortunate. Um, one last point I wanted to make about the, the Batman uh, that I like and stuff. You mentioned about him being a man. Many years ago, someone said to me, Batman is like Rocky. It's in like Rocky Balboa. Yeah, completely. He's just a guy that's got the heart to keep going. Like he is going to get beaten. Like he's, you know, he's going to get the he. There's no way he beats everybody. You know, he he lurks in the shadows. He uses the element of surprise and all this other stuff. But like, yeah, he will get a kick in, or he's, you know. But like you said, he dusts himself up. He'll stand up and keep going. And I like that. You know, um, that one more round, or he'll go just one more round yep. because that's what needs to happen. 
Exactly. And then you get like the Rocky Balboa quote where it's like, you know, um, life will beat you to the ground and keep you there. You know, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how, how, how hard you can get hit and keep going. I'm like, that's Batman. That's yeah. what it's about. Completely. Um, and so, yeah, it was nice to read this positive depiction of Bruce Wayne, let's say as well. Um, and it's not a jarring one. That's that's no. the bit I love about this comic. It still completely works. So anyone who may never have read a Batman comic, or to the cynical fan, or to the people who just love the character wholeheartedly like I do, this one single issue is just spot on on, on, on yeah. every aspect of his character. And again, like I say, it made me think of like the animated series. I'm like, oh, that's the Batman I loved when I was a kid. Like that's the you know when Bruce Wayne. Um, was a part of the character and you know had that sense of humor and had that relationship with Alfred that was quite funny and stuff. Like, I love all that stuff. So, yeah, so no, another good issue. Your choices, you know, Thanks, were very good as uh, as you know, attempt you made me work hard. <laughs> it's a hard choice, it's <laughs> not easy. Hard, no, it's not, it's not an easy task. I mean, I, I did this once for another podcast and it is tough, like, it's really tough because again, the choices you make today might be very different tomorrow or next week so it's uh it is a difficult choice but it's fun it, it, you know it generates these conversations um and i've i've really enjoyed these so thank you for choosing thank these you. comics and thanks for uh, no, th- going pleasure. back and talking 2008 d and introducing me to yeah. Pete, you know peter david hulk and, and and sort of so i'm looking forward to reading some of that so thank you d for for, for bringing those issues to me a pleasure and thanks for asking me on the show i mean i hated you for for a good few days <laughs> until i made my choices but it was therapeutic. It was fun. And honestly, mate, your reaction has made it all worth it because that's all I want to do is show people that comics don't have to be deep philosophical um, literary masterpieces. I mean, it's great when they are, mm. but sometimes you just want to pick a comic up, escape, and just read something that will make you happy yeah. or will give you a thrill or everything in between and these three comics did that to me when I was seven yeah. when I was 19 and when I was a grown man and fingers crossed they'll do the same for fans for years and years and years to come I that's why so. I love them yeah I, I think you're right I think they will you're right again because I think comics get sort of like you know you know you know not a bad name but get Hold. lumped in yeah. yeah they're either they're either literary or they're comics yeah. and you go no, no no like there's a People can do great things in all across, like, you know, um, everyone, like, I say it the same in films, like, you know, I love canon movies. Like, you know, yeah, Cobra is amazing. It's awful, but it's amazing. No um, catch. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I love all that shit. However, I will also then go and watch, like, Schindler's List or something like that. Like, you can Absolutely. Do, it's not the content, it's the medium. It's how you use it. And there are, there's room for everything. Um, anyway. Steve, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it's you been said. an absolute joy talking about these. Thanks, man. Uh, and we'll, I'll have you on for something else in the future. But for now, where can people find you and where can people hear God. you? How long have you got? I mean, this is going to be another show. <laughs> by uh, obviously, I, I don't just talk. Obviously, I'm on podcasts. Obviously, the wonderful comics in motion. I'm part of the Superheroes for Dummies where we ask people to tell us the comic characters they want to know more about. And they send us the questions and we answer them on the show. That's mm. uh, on the Comics in Motion feed. But on the DC Comics news feed, I'm on many weeks of the main DC Comics news podcast where we talk everything about the world of DC and comics, movies, TV and everything else, video games, what have you. And the show I make with my offspring, Adam, 
I am the night where we break down every episode of Batman the Animated Series week by week, and that's so much fun to do. I'm the occasional guest on other Comics Motion shows, your wonderful show, Indie Comics Spotlight, um, Max's wonderful Mandatory Marvel and DC. You catch me on there every now and then. And on the occasional episode of uh, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast, which looks at the, the Harley Quinn animated series. And written work, just type Steve J. Ray or um, Fantastic Universe into any search engine you like, and that'll take you to my news, reviews, features, interviews across Fantasy Universe. is my site that I own and run with, Adam. Um, Dark Knight News, the Batman website, which I run. I'm the editor-in-chief of DC Comics News, where I'm a lead features and a reviews writer, and CBR, where I'm a comic features writer as well. But if you want to chat to me and ask me any kind of stupid question, just hit me up on Twitter, at lsteevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. And thanks, Scott. Thank you, mate. No, yeah, and there'll be links down below for all those kinds of different bits and pieces. So, you know, check them out. Check out his reviews, because you know, the man does a good reviews. <laughs> Uh, and also, like, you know, you know, knows his stuff and has guided me today to some great comics, and I appreciate it. But, ladies and gentlemen, from, from our side, if you like what we're doing, if you like anything that Steve does as well, go find the podcast, go on your podcast catcher and leave a review five stars, four stars, whatever you want to leave. Peace. Always like the f- feedback, mm-hmm. and it helps us in the charts, doesn't it? It gets us up there so people yeah. see us. Um, but from our side, if you really like what we're doing, we have a Patreon, uh, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash 20CG Media. There'll be a link down below. We've got a bunch of other sort of uh, podcasts on there. I do a weekly podcast with uh, uh, my brother from another mother, Julian Darius, uh, trekking through the Twilight Zone. We do an episode by episode through the Twilight Zone. I do 30-minute thoughts on it every month. And we also have Creative Corner, where I bring on all kinds of different people to talk about what it is they do as a creative force. Uh, so go check that out. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening, and we shall see you on the next episode. Well, listeners, before you go, do you love true crime podcasts? but are sick and tired of listening to the same cases over and over again. Seriously, how many times can you listen to a story about Ted Bundy or the Golden State Killer? If I have to hear one more podcast about John Wayne Gacy, I'm going to dress up as a clown and shoot myself. If you feel the same way I do, then you have to listen to Modem Mischief. Modem Mischief is a true cybercrime podcast. They tell stories about the world's most notorious hackers and the lives affected by them. You'll hear stories about the dark web and what goes on down there. And since you guys love the 80s, this week's show is about the teenage hacker gang, the 414s. It's like war games, but real life. Modem Mischief. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.